And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So we talk about a lot of different kinds of innovation here on Startup Hustle and a lot of different kinds of technology, but how do you build an innovation machine culture? That's what we're going to get into today. And we're going to do that with representatives from one of Kansas City's top startups, according to the Startup Hustle 2021 list. And before we get into that and who we're speaking with today, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. That's my business, folks. And if you want to reach out and see more and learn more about what we do at Fullscale, just go to Fullscale.io. We're here to answer your questions when you are ready. With me today, I've got Rayanne Lovell, and she is the Chief People Officer at Homebase. You can go to homebase.ai and learn more about what they do. Go to the link in the show notes straight out of Kansas City, Missouri, but here with me today in person in the new Startup Hustle studio in Kansas City, Kansas, the other Kansas City, right? Uh, Rayanne, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks. I'm excited to talk about the future of living. Yeah, I am too. And, you know, it's been a while. Uh, your The founder of Homebase was one of the very first guests we ever had on Startup Hustle, and that was over 700 episodes ago. Wow. I know. Congrats. Time flies. It's like raising children. They grow up so quickly. Uh, so let's get started with a little bit of backstory about you and what you do at Homebase and what and remind everyone what Homebase does. I'm just assuming that not everyone that listens has started at episode 10. Yeah, for sure. So Homebase is a smart technology uh, company that focuses on multifamily and commercial and mixed use buildings. So primarily our first focus is the multifamily uh, and apartment. So creating a smart home experience for apartment renters, residents, and then a building that the uh, property manager can manage holistically. So that's putting smart locks, lights, thermostats, and controlling access in an apartment building so that um, everyone has the benefit of smart home experience and building controls. So you're you're the people officer at yes. a company that is about machines. Yes. Which is good. Yes. Which is good and probably challenging on some days too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like today's a good day. You know, when you're in startup world, there are days that are really hard. And then there are days that feel like this is amazing. I'm so lucky I get to be doing this. I get to be working in a startup and literally creating the future. So today's one of those days that doesn't feel hard, but I feel like we've paid a lot of dues with the technology in order to get to this point where I feel really confident and excited about the future. Yeah. I mentioned Blake Miller, the, your, the founder and CEO of Homebase, and who's a, a personal friend of mine on top of one of our early guests. That was over four years ago. I remember talking to him during that episode about some of the challenges. He actually, uh, he taught me a phrase that I have 
I have carried forward uh, time arbitrage hmm. and was just talking about, you know, you have a finite amount of time and, and in a day and there's something that we haven't learned how to make more of and that's time. So yeah. you have to do a better job of, of managing it. And one of the things that I thought was really, really interesting was he talked about how for property management, a lot of times if you, if it took an hour to fix something at a building, 40 to 45 minutes of that might've just been key management. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I started thinking, I was like, wow, that's really inefficient and really expensive. And, you know, that was just one of the many, many problems that, you know, home base solved. And overall the prop tech uh, field is, is growing really quickly. So over the last few years, what have been some of the more significant problems that you guys have tackled or are working on still? Yeah, I think the biggest problem is really access control for multiple layers within a building. So you think, oh, I need to get into my unit. That's one layer. But you also need to get into the building. You need to get into the gym. You need to get into the common spaces. But what if there's a co-working space in the building that's operated by another um, entity, then they have another special layer of access. What if there are elevators that need to be integrated? So I think that's the biggest challenge that we've really tackled over the past two years um, since I've been a part of the company is having to figure out how you set up those permissions and those different levels of access. Uh, and then the second is, yes, um, as you're referencing, spending a lot of time dealing with physical keys, we also want to get rid of fobs because fobs are just the new type of key. So just using either your watch, your smartwatch or your smartphone to get access to any space in the building or even any space in your local community that has a home-based door on it that you can pay to access. So um, getting rid of the key altogether is going to save even more time. You know, one of the things that, that has got to be complex is home base has to work with a whole lot of different products. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that, you know, you have, well, there aren't like a hundred different uh, lock makers, but there's multiple. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a lot of different technology and a lot of things. How has that been? Is that, is that a hurdle that you constantly have to climb over? I mean, it is, but I feel like that's so commonplace today. The smartest thing to do is integrate with people who are doing things well. And so everyone's trying to do that if they're working smart. So I think it's something that people understand. And yeah, there are going to be days when the integration has an issue and you have to fix it, but it's technology. That's always going to happen. So yes, it's a hurdle, but I think it's a commonplace issue that honestly, the technology of integration is getting better and better and the partners are getting better. So I see that as something that's improving over time. And it's the most efficient way to work. So the, as mentioned, prop tech is, I mean, kind of exploding. I mean, there's a ton of it out there. Have, have you found an increasing level of competition and things that you have to keep up with? And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's frustrating. Yeah. I see pioneers in the field. I see the, the companies that have been here a little before us, or maybe have had more resources. Um, and I see us learning from their mistakes. I see them creating a market and proving a market for us. And um, while there's a lot of competition, it's a huge, huge market. So it feels like we're still at the beginning and there's a lot of opportunity. We can see what they're doing and we can take some different approaches as well as um, you know offering what is coming to be expected in the market. But it's definitely a early adopters market still. So there's a lot that can be done and there's a lot of resources flowing in, which is lucky for us. 
I would admit, so a little known fact. Uh, so my wife's dad was uh, was a, a big shot for Slag, mm. the lock company. That's yeah. spent his whole life working for them. It's a division of Ingersoll Rand, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, he's a lock expert. And I remember telling him about home base a few years ago. He's like, "Wow, this is amazing! This is the future!" And um, you know, you look at something like a lock, and if you think about it when was the last time a lock really changed in, you know, maybe the last 15 years or mm-hmm. something, but yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of really interesting stuff out there that is, uh, you still so early in the infant, it's like in the infancy, maybe more approaching the adolescence. Mm-hmm. So adolescents are known for being a pain in the ass, <laughs> right? So what's the biggest pain in the ass with prop tech other than like you had the access control or management? Is it like, is it, I don't know if I'd call it a pain in the ass, but a challenge is just change management, digital transformation. I mean, it's difficult to bridge from where we are working now to where we know we want to be or where we can be, because it's not as simple as the vision and the idea. It's the practical everyday application and, you know, minute changes that you have to make to get there. Um, I wanted to go back to your comment about the lock and how it hasn't changed in forever. And what's exciting is the lock is not just a lock anymore. It's really a transaction engine now because now you can pay to get access to deliver groceries into someone's refrigerator or to access a space. If there's a co-working space, um, you know, we're working so that you can pay to book a space, even if you don't live in that building, but you have the home base app. So the idea that the lock is no longer just this piece of machinery to keep you in or or let you out um, or vice versa. It's really something that can unlock a whole nother level of service, convenience, and kind of time arbitrage, like you said, um, to improve life overall. That's what's exciting to me about it. That's been an area of focus for you guys recently, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Getting the um, conveniences and services that people will pay for to get in and out of the unit easily is really exciting. Um, so, and, and also the Wi-Fi, you know, having Wi-Fi that all of the IOT can sit on and can really create this connected community so that you can offer amenities and services and conveniences that residents want and that property managers can use to more easily manage their building so they can connect with the people in the community in the building in person. So COVID comes along and, you know, by the time this comes out, it's close to two years. Yeah. And how did that, you know, one of the things I noticed was there, well, obviously access control and population control in the regard to like how many people are in a space Mm -hmm. became really important. How did that, did that, any of that change your focus or, or did you have to really press on the gas or brakes and other departments? It changed the focus for the whole industry because people needed to be able to get the same amount of work done without having to be in person. So allowing someone to view a unit to tour an apartment without having to meet them there, without having to let them in, how could we enable remote access and remote management of tours of even on your move-in day? What if you really don't feel comfortable meeting the property manager at the unit, we can send you your home base app link. You can download it, log in and unlock your door without ever having to see another human. So it it really pushed innovation in that regard. 
So when we talk about a smart building, a smart building is defined as involving the installation and use of advanced and integrated building technology systems. These systems include building automation, life safety, telecommunications, user systems, and facility management systems, all of which are powered by the internet. Yes. How often do you run into an issue where you're like, well, we can't do anything for you because you don't have building Wi-Fi or something like that? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of our consultation. Part of our sales process is if they don't already have a Wi-Fi network, we can help them build out and configure and install that Wi-Fi network so that all of the IoT smart devices can live on that network and we can help them manage that. If they already have an existing Wi-Fi network, we can work with that to put the the smart devices on that network as well. But yes, absolutely have to have the Wi-Fi. And I mean, everyone has that nowadays anyway or needs to have it. And the way that our Wi-Fi works is it allows the property manager to resell the Wi-Fi. So now they have an entire new revenue stream that they never had before. And we have a property up in St. Joe that's making $5,000 a month that they never made before because they're selling Wi-Fi. Some of the things that Blake and I talked about in our first podcast were also related to uh, you know, building owner or management things like collecting payments and stuff like that. Do you still do that? We do still do that. Yes. Um, and we're integrating with other property management tools, the Yardies and Entradas and Real Pages of the world, because so many large portfolios of multifamily are invested in those technologies. And so getting that information to talk to home base really unlocks a lot of our features for them. And so payments is one of those things that once we have those integrations going, they'll be able to seamlessly move information between the two and they'll be able to unlock a whole host of services that residents can then pay for in addition to Wi-Fi, in-home grocery services, in-home cleaning, different care services, pet services, et cetera. So everything is automated through the Homebase app. So those payments can go straight into the property manager's bank account. I mean, that's a, that's a real thing. You yes. know, just collecting money from people in general is, as you know, if you can, anytime you can do it in a convenient and automated way and people want that too. Yes. Like, you know, I just bought my, my wife a, a new Jeep recently and whatever bank that it's financed through has a terrible recurring payment system. And I've been fighting with it for like two months. Like I actually got to the point, I was like, maybe I'll just pay this car off. Wow. I think, yeah. Maybe like, that's their strategy. It, it, I, <laughs> I don't think so. I just think it was like, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's it, shocking to me how hard people make it to pay. Yeah. Well, make it I, easy for me to pay. You. Well, they have the system. It just does. It just sucks. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It's amazing how fast a month goes by. Cause I'm like, Oh shit, I got to hurry up and make this payment. All right. So you say you're building an, uh, an innovation machine culture. What does that mean? The number one thing that comes to mind when I think about that is safety. It has to be a safe place where people can bring their craziest ideas, their biggest concerns, their wildest dreams, their stupidest questions, and know that it's a safe place to have that conversation. Uh, it needs to be safe for people with diverse perspectives to bring all of those different ideas and um, perspectives into the room and not be afraid of being ostracized or mocked or told that it's a stupid idea. Um, so the number one thing is safety because you can't have innovation without diverse thinking and divergent thinking. And um, 
that's what we want. We want creativity, we want innovation, and we want to create a future of living, not just for some people, but for all people. Uh, so, yeah. So, so that phrase is truly an internal goal. Absolutely. We, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that wasn't the first thing that came to mind when I thought about that. And, but I, I love what you're saying now. Okay. So that it's easy to say those words. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder to make it happen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's not, we're not perfect every time, but I think we have really cultivated a culture of open communication where even when it doesn't go right, we can go back to the person and say, you know, next time we have this type of conversation, let's try to do it differently. And that, I mean, that's one thing I value so much in my relationship with Blake and the leadership um, at home base is we can make mistakes together. We can open, openly communicate about how we communicate. And that has really, I think, given us an advantage in how we're innovating. And to your point, the innovation machine is not just about safety or the culture. It's about keeping track um, with the industry and innovating the solutions that it needs at that time. But underlying all of that is our ability to communicate and create and collaborate together. And that is where I think safety is kind of the root of all of that. Thinking about, about that makes me think about the difference between talent and genius. Mm. And talent is, is being able to, you're talented if you can hit the target every time. Mm-hmm. That's actual talent, but that doesn't make you a genius. The genius hits the target that no one else sees. And that's the real, like when you look at people that have done genius stuff and they're, and that's, they don't often feel safe talking about some of that or just bringing it up because most of the time they're like, you're crazy. Yeah. This is never going to work. This is not the way things are done. I actually at, at full scale and, and once again, today's episode of startup hustle is brought to you by fullscale.io. If you need help building a software team quickly and affordably, we're there for you at fullscale.io. Um, so we, we do the same thing at, at Fullscale where you know we want people to bring things up. And one of the things that I say in regards to that innovation culture is if you hear this, that's the this is always the way we've done it. I hate that phrase. Yeah. That's like, that's a, a huge red flag, people. Like if you find yourself saying that, then you're stuck. You're not innovating. You're like, you know, it's, it's, I, and I compare this to say, if I came to the office and I found a bunch of people outside digging in the dirt with their hands, I said, why are you digging in the dirt with your hands? Here's some shovels. You know, they say, well, this is always the way we've done it. Mm-hmm. And you know, like there's a better way a lot right. of times, but you have to force yourself out of that and change is hard. Yeah. We talk about that a lot actually, cause we're growing really quickly. We've doubled over the summer And every time we have a new hiring uh, group come on, I explicitly say, you have to hand over the projects that you thought you were going to do yourself. You have to give them to these new people. They're actually going to do the thing that you've been, that's been on your list forever that you want to do. And they're going to do it in a different way than you probably expected. And so we are still a startup. We are still evolving. There is no, this is the way we've always done it. And so that's, a little bit of a benefit having that startup culture, but always, every time we add new people, it's, we do not say this is how we've always done it. We say, this is how we've done it until now. And we'd love for you to give us your perspective about how you would do it. It's always going to be a collaboration, um, but definitely 
reiterate that every time we hire new people. The, a lot of sophisticated organizations will literally just assign someone to be the red team. Hmm. And, you know, the red team is, is referred to as like you, you, it's your, it's required that you're critical. So if you, you know, if you're in a room and you have 10 people in the meeting and someone's assigned to be red team, they, the red team analysis has got to be based on or considering the opposing point. Yeah. I like that. And it's, it's really effective. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I, I personally try to do it a lot and it probably drives people crazy on some days, but you know, I've forced myself into that, the blue red team kind of thing because you know, one of the things that I, I grew up with a father who's an attorney um, and he, he was just always forcing me to look at sunny and rainy day mm-hmm. situations, because like you mentioned, some at a startup or as an entrepreneur, like you show up to work on a lot of days ready to do one thing. Mm-hmm. And then you get to do like 19 other things yeah. that are usually not sunny day proposition things. It's the same thing with writing a good agreement or a contract. Like see a lot of startup founders do that and you see their, their operating agreement or their inception agreement. And you're like, wow, you guys did a great job of planning for how everything will be perfect. Yeah. (laughs) And then there's nothing past that. So some of that, I mean, I think it's healthy and it's, uh, you know, like not only with your agreements with vendors or people you do business with, even with your own employees and, mm-hmm. and encouraging people to challenge the norm. Yeah. I, I, I say that a lot with the startup hustle brand too. I'm like the moment where every, everything we put out looks like everything else that you see out there is a the moment we need to do something different. For sure. Yeah. Startup really forces you to become resilient and realize that you're going to make mistakes and it's not that big of a deal. And every iteration is going to be a little bit better than the one before, but it's never going to be that final destination. Because to your point, if you think you've hit that final destination, you're done. What's the point? And for me, that's what startup culture is all about. It's energizing, coming to de- to work every day, knowing that you don't know exactly what's going to happen and you're not going to hit some final goal and then just do the same thing over and over again. I think I'd go crazy if I knew the same thing was going to happen every day. That's why I can't, that's why I can't record this show and, and do an interview and ask the same questions. I mean, I've recorded about 600 of these. Yeah. And if I, I, I've had people out there, why don't you ask the same questions? I'm like, cause I'd go crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's authentic living versus programmed living, going to work and doing the same thing every day. You're being a robot when you're working in a startup and you're creating something new, you're alive. But on some levels, though, when you're building a team and dealing with people and you talk about a rapidly growing everything, we're in the same boat. I've got 220 employees worldwide halfway through the timeline. We get a pandemic and have to basically reorganize our whole culture and way of communicating and understanding, which honestly got simpler Hmm, because we didn't have 200 people in the same place every day. Mm-hmm. They're not, you mix 200 people, like even if they're not associated with each other, there's just like personality clashes and just like, you know, it's like mm-hmm. a lot easier for you to not notice the shit about me that people don't like Perfect. if you're not around me every day. But at the same time, it's also, uh, we've had to really kind of address how do we grow our, our young, our younger People And I think that that's something that's going to, you know, come up. And I mean, how did you deal with that over the pandemic? Uh, We were a much smaller team then. And we've been back at the office at the same time that we've doubled. So um, 
during the pandemic, I think we worked fine remote, but being back in the office, being face-to-face has actually been incredibly energizing and momentum building for us. So it's just, it is that quintessential startup culture right now. Everyone's in the office. It's a big open space. We're all vaccinated or testing regularly so we can be face-to-face. And it is solving problems, creating, doing, doing, creating and doing every single day. So um, yeah, I don't know that we had the same experience through that because it's been really fantastic to be face-to-face and to grow a team. It's so exciting to see something growing and know that you've been a part of that. So your, your business, and once again, go to homebase.ai. There's a link in the show notes. Your business has a particular challenge though, because you're kind of hardware and software at the same time. You don't make that actual, like the locks, but that's that creates a level of complexity that on some levels being in front of it, it yeah. doesn't hurt. Meaning like, hey, here's the lock. Oh, Let's look at it. I want to actually see it move or yes. something like that. It's yeah. a lot harder to do if you're doing it remote and you're like, hey, Rayanne, uh, did the lock just unlock? You right. know, as opposed to being like, you see it and then you move on. Yeah, definitely. Working with the hardware has been really fun, actually, to, to learn and to experiment with that. Um, but I don't know what you said makes me think of when I worked customer support. The first two years I was VP of customer support. And so I did all of our uh, live chat and doing those things remote is also really interesting to have to walk a customer through resetting a lock or dealing with the hardware and then onboarding the software. Um, it's, it's very challenging and it's still something that's exciting because you think, how can we make this a completely remote business? How can we scale this knowing that we can't be in front of the lock every single time and we're going to have to communicate this and help walk people through that. So that's been a fun part of the challenge. At at full scale, we had uh, about six months into the company, I realized that we needed to build a platform to manage the company and Mm -hmm. the growth, which was at certain points contested in management just because, you know, you got to take people away from maybe generating revenue and to do this. Yeah. When COVID hit, that looked like a genius idea that wasn't really like planned in that regard. Did right. you did you have something along the way? You're like, wow, we didn't even know if we wanted to do this. And now this is a huge advantage. Or did mm-hmm. you uncover any specific advantages that? I mean, the thing that comes to mind is not a technology related item. It's sure. actually a, a a diversity and inclusion related item, which I'm going to speak about tomorrow, actually. Um, And that is that we had developers who are straight out of school and didn't have experience, didn't have experience with our coding language, and they were persistent in wanting to get a job with me. And one was a young woman who um, literally would not leave me alone. And I went to the dev team and said, can we please give this person an internship? And they're you know, saying we're way over capacity. We do not have the time. It wouldn't be fair to her. It's not fair to us. So I said, okay, let's put her on the customer success team and have her do integrations and any backend development with our live chat platform. And she was willing to do that as an intern. And so my plan all along was we'll get her in the company. We'll give her a chance. We'll let her learn the coding language while she's doing the customer success live chat and then when an opening comes, she'll she'll move over. And now that that has come to fruition and she has moved on to the dev team, I'm realizing this is a fantastic way to get uh, people who maybe don't have the skills that we would regularly look for to get onto our team 
and to learn our product, learn our customer, learn where the the pain points um, and the weaknesses are in the product, and then train them to to really be part of our team, learn the language and understand the the culture and move over to the team that they ultimately want to be on. So that's something I feel like I kind of hit on accidentally because I just wanted to give this woman a chance so bad. And I didn't want to force her on my dev team knowing they didn't have the capacity, but I really wanted her to, to have the opportunity to be part of the company. And she's a fantastic employee. And I think it's just going to be a fantastic way to get more people, especially minority um, individuals who wouldn't regularly have that opportunity to be part of the company and grow with the company. So it's kind of a happy accident. The the world of startups and tech are painfully dude driven. True. And you know, that's i uh, I've talked about some of that. And if you, you want to, uh, hear more about subjects like that, tune in for Lauren Conaway's weekly episode here on Startup Hustle. Lauren's a champion for that stuff. And that's been something that that we put an emphasis on at our company as well. Um, so 25% of our tech team is female. That's amazing. Which would be about 10 times higher than any tech company I could probably find in the US. Absolutely. And uh, um, it's, uh, it's been great. And we've really... Uh, um, you know, that's, uh, uh, there's, there is, I, I hate to have these conversations, but I do believe that men and women look at things differently. And that, that diversity of like, my wife will point things out to me that I just hadn't even considered. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about, there is just so much, uh, data info and everything that just really says that not, that not having just one type of person on your team is a huge advantage. So it's, right. Also, just little, like I said, little thoughtful things yeah. that that you just don't consider if you haven't walked in those shoes. Um, yesterday, our uh, chief product officer was telling me about how Melissa, who's the only female on our Cebu team, uh, built our entire Android app and how fantastic oh, really? she did. Yeah. So our our team there has, I think, just one female on it, but she's really making a, a good impression. Yeah, you 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 mentioned that, not me. I try not to have our guests oh, come sorry. in. No, it's up to you. I don't I don't try to put. You, you, full, Homebase has had a, a great success model with full scale, and and thank you for that. And I'm glad that worked out. That was actually an alternate uh, tech technology as opposed to the rest of the team. So yeah, um, yeah, you you're you the people that assist at Homebase that work at full scale love the company. Um, you actually the, like the longest tenured client assignments are with you. That's great. So that, I think that's amazing. So that's, uh, that's fun. And, you know, watching the companies grow together now with, uh, you know, I, I've maybe only learned two things in the last 15 years of being an entrepreneur. One that all businesses have problems and two, that all software has bugs. Mm. <laughs> Uh, so what's the biggest challenge that you have to solve at the business as the chief people officer? I think what you mentioned, just personalities, people being people, it's always going to be challenging when you have so many people that are really passionate about the job they're doing, the organization, the vision, and everyone's going to have a different idea about how we should do that. So again, back to those diverse perspectives, how do you take the diversity and all of those differing opinions and really create the the most valuable and genius outcome. Um, 
it's not always easy. So I think it's, it goes back to that safety, creating a safe environment where everyone can have their opinion and voice their concern in a way and in a place that they feel safe doing. But that is definitely the biggest challenge. Um, it's, and I think everyone, myself included, the founder, everyone wants to show that they're valuable, that they deserve to be there, that they have something to offer. And sometimes that gets in the way of growing the entire team and growing the people that you're working with. And I, it's almost this, the desire to do well, the desire to contribute uh, is almost a problem sometimes that we just have to all kind of step back and say, okay, how do we bring all of our genius together to, to get the best product and get the best outcome? And I honestly, it's hard, but I feel like we're doing that. That's what kind of gets me out of bed every day is to see the unique genius of each person at home base coming together in different combinations to create this innovation machine. You need friction to start a fire though. So True. sometimes that, yeah. that isn't always the worst thing. Right. Um, but it's how do you have that friction? Can you have it in a healthy with, way? Right. Without choking each other across, exactly. for, across the conference table, which yeah. happens, you know, and like that's, especially when people are passionate about stuff. Um, so when it comes to, so I'm a, I, I am a long time observer and part-time writer about personality styles. I have a whole section in one of my books about that. Yeah. Um, how do you like, what's a personality trait that you look for when you add people to your team? Growth mindset. Okay. That's the number one thing that we talk about that we screen for is not thinking that there's a dead end, but there's just a different way to go about something. So we always are talking about growth mindset and practicing ways to have a growth mindset. Um, the other I would say is just grit and persistence. I say at the beginning, I was hiring for people who had grit to get us through the startup, you know, struggles. And now I'm hiring more for surgeons. People have done it before, who you know, precisely how to scale an organization or a department. So I think now we're at the point where it's that growth mindset, the persistence, and then the expertise that we need at this moment to really scale. We, we've spent a lot of time talking about that on the show that early in the business, you usually need the Swiss army knife. Mm -hmm. And then as you get ready to go to battle, you need people with swords. Yeah. And you know, you don't want to be on the, you don't want to be on the front line of battle with your can opener. Right. You know, you bet it's hard to afford specialists in the beginning because it's, I mean, specialists are exactly that. These are people that usually have a lot of experience and they will tell you, I do this one thing. Right. They don't want to do anything else. And they do it in one way. So when yeah. you have those gritty Swiss army knife people, they're going to go at it in a different way yeah. than someone who's done it 10 times. Well, you don't want to be back in camp trying to open your can of beans with a sword. <laughs> So that's, yeah. a, that's a challenge too. And, you know, finding the right people in any company is, is, is a challenge. Um, one of the things that, you know, I, every day in the wall street journal, there's another article about the great resignation. I haven't seen it yeah. at, at our company. I, I think that's a, a, maybe a nod to our culture or something, but you know, I'm going to be interested to see the, the adaptation. Mm -hmm. that occurs. I think if people are passionate about what they do at your business, like, so you talk about the things to look for. Mm -hmm. I look for passion because yeah. passion is like an antidote for all the other crap mm -hmm. that you put up with. It's an antidote for being tired. It's an antidote for being frustrated. It's an antidote for feeling like you don't make enough money. Maybe, you know, yeah. people will stay in a job they're passionate about 
because yeah. they're passionate about that. And I'm not saying pay your passionate people less. You should probably pay them more because you it's an intent. You can't train someone to be passionate. They are, right. they aren't. But you have to have a product and an organization and a culture that's passion worthy. True. That, that inspires yep. passion. And I think it's not as easy. I think that's why there's the great resignation is because how many passionate cultures do you right. see out there? I yeah. mean, we we definitely have the benefit of being a startup and having this whole world in front of us and the idea that we are literally creating the future of living. That's huge. When people look at our company and they see what we're doing online, that comes across. And I don't think you can fake that. I don't know if you can even kind of recreate that in an established company. So that's one thing I think about all the time is how do I keep this going as long as I possibly can? How do I keep this startup passion, the drive and the sense of autonomy that each person is contributing something really unique and that we're creating something really unique together. How do we keep that going? So I think that's going to get harder. That's a moving target. It's it's back to that idea that if you find yourself, oh, that's always the way we've done it. Right. Then you're not doing it right because these things change and evolve over time. I mean, that's, you know, along with passion, it's, it's like caring is another mm-hmm. thing that you can't teach someone and people care or they don't. It's a very binary answer. It's yes or no. And it, it, you can say maybe, no, that's still not a yes. That's a no. Right. Do you think that's inherent in them that they're always going to care about certain things and not at all about other things? Or do you think it can change? I, um, I think that some people are just inherently caring. Mm-hmm. You know, they, ha- they uh, you know, you, you know, someone that just doesn't do things poorly. Mm-hmm. And they, and, but that can be a fault too, because not everything needs to be gold plated either. So, you know, I, I, I've come to realize that your strength and your weakness hold hands and walk down main street together. So it's like the same thing. It's like so many of the things you were talking about, uh, with the, you know, and not being frustrated and whatever those fall under the, the strongly fall under the driven category because you're I'm like 99 out of 100 on a personality assessment for driven I just don't stop yeah and, but I also just don't stop right which can wear other people out uh, people sometimes have, struggle to keep up and then also there's a level of intensity that comes with that that we talk about passion and some people just call it angry. <laughs> Because, well, because it's, it, it, you know, as a founder, it's your, your, your DNA is ingrained in the company too. And then so much of it is about being a good leader. You look at things like COVID, I immediately had to shift from having this growth culture and like everyone kind of working together to like, uh, hey, we're all successful to having to support all of it on my shoulders and, you know, like, Hey, it's going to be okay. I got this. And, yeah. you know, it's, a uh, um, and there's a lot of pressure that comes with that, you know, especially when you get into like hundreds of people and then their families and their kids. It's like, it's almost best to not slow down and think about that too much. You yeah. just keep going forward towards the mission. <laughs> um, somebody with the personality things, there are so many, many parts of our personality that are just wired. They're like burnt in. Mm-hmm. you're not going to change a whole lot about them. Um, and then really what happens is just when people are stressed, the worst side of all personalities come out and, yeah. you know, other, other things too. And this is the thing I find to be really interesting with the switch to remote and hybrid 
is, you know, you have a natural and an adapted personality style. So you're in your natural uh, personality style when you're at home, when you're around your family, when you're around your people mm-hmm. and then at work. And oftentimes in things like church or other things where we feel like we have to project a specific image or do a specific thing, we have an adapted style and they are often very different. Yeah. And, and that, and that's, so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays because yeah. you kind of got to learn a different, I don't know, a different approach. We recently took an assessment um, of saboteurs. There's a concept called positive intelligence by uh, Shirzad Shamin. Uh, he's a PhD that's created this positive intelligence and it's essentially mental fitness. How often can you tell that you're thinking in a non-productive way, catch yourself and then switch to a productive way of thinking? And so he outlines and has an assessment of your saboteurs, kind of the default way that you've learned to cope and to prove yourself and to show your worth uh, around other people. And everyone on our leadership team, except myself, their highest saboteur was uh, a high achiever. Like you have to achieve in order to get respect, in order to have self-worth. Everything in you is driving you to be perceived as a high achiever and how that can trip you up because you're so focused on what are you achieving next. Maybe you're not stopping in the moment to appreciate what you have and the people in your life and um, but that's a really, you would probably be interested in that. It's a positive intelligence um, saboteur assessment. And it tells you your top three. Like mine are being a pleaser, which is very feminine, being a controller and being restless. So those are the ways I deal with my insecurities or I think I need to, I need to lean on those strategies to get ahead rather than turning to empathy or collaboration or curiosity to find myself, um, to find my way out of a challenge, maybe. So you should check it out. I, I will actually. I'm so fascinated with that stuff. Page one of my book, Balance Me, which is a realist guide to a successful life, literally says if you're not willing to admit that you're likely your biggest, your own biggest problem, just put the book back. Yeah. Because like you're not going to like this book. You're not gonna. You're not gonna probably get anything from it. Yeah. Um, it's and- so fascinating when you can separate yourself from all of that though, and really start having a sense of curiosity about your own self to really dissect why you are the way you are, what works, what doesn't, and how you can choose new ways to consciously and intentionally make progress. It's just such an exciting journey to be on, I think. I I think personally, I have like this like computerized background operation that's always running that I've, I, I, I need it. Because yeah. if it's not running in the background, I can get way out of bounds with, you know, just like my own personality. And, you know, most people are kind of right in the middle. And then you have people on the extremes. Yeah. And I know I'm on the extreme and I and I have to catch myself in some regards. And yeah. I think another thing, too, a, a great exercise is that red team, blue team thought process. You force yeah. yourself to switch back and forth and then you realize, oh, wait, there is a switch. Mm-hmm. And if you learn to recognize which one you're 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 looking at. Uh, uh, I remember once in college and I went, I've dropped out of five just to let everyone know that. Wow, did I, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I have like oh, no student debt because of that, but um, I was in a sociology class and the uh, professor held up a picture of a cow and this cow was standing sideways and it was all white. And he said, is this a spotted cow? And half the people were like, no. He's like, how do you know? 
Cause you got to see the full perspective. You have to walk right. around it, get under it, get on top of it, open its mouth. Like maybe it has spots on its tongue. And you know that, yeah. and that always stuck with me when it came to the, like the, the multi view. And I think, especially when you talk about an innovative culture, if you only look at things from one angle you're not going to figure stuff yeah. out. It's- I like the red team, blue team, cause it forces the people who are always the cheerleaders yep. to be the devil's advocate yep. and vice versa. And to realize that you can choose that, I think is important. Once again, with me today, Rayanne Lovell. Did I say that right? Or is it? Laval. Laval. And there we go. This is what we use the end of the show for is correcting our errors. And you know, the, the sad thing is, is I asked before we recorded. So now I feel like a terrible listener. <laughs> Leanne's the chief people officer at Homebase. Congratulations on, we have a pretty great list of top KC startups yeah. coming out and uh, you earned it. The, um, just uh, knowing Blake wasn't enough. We, we got pretty, uh, we did a lot of scrutiny. You can go to homebase.ai and learn more about what they do. It's really cool stuff. If anything, if you're just interested, visit the site and see what they're up to. Um, I like to end my episodes with what I call the founders freestyle. I say my episodes, because I'm not the only host on the show. If you're a regular listener, you know that. Make sure you tune in weekly, listen to Andrew and Lauren's episodes. They cover a lot of great stuff. Now, you're not technically a founder. I'm not. Okay. So we'll shift this a little bit. Thank you. What's the best advice that you could give to a founder about building a business from someone that's a non-founder? I think it's to be open and to realize that your ideas are only as valuable and far reaching as your ability to let go of them and pass them on to other people. I think that's just the hardest thing that I see founders repeatedly working um, against themselves because they feel like you said, everything is on them. It's their responsibility. It's their idea. It's their vision. It's their company. And the truth is it's not, it's all of our company. Yeah. It's now all of our vision. And that's the magic of it. If one person just did it alone, that's boring. You know, it's, it's the fact that we can all come together with all these different perspectives and unique geniuses to create something that's a hundred, a million times better than that seed of an idea. That's magic. No, I agree. And uh, before I give my response to that, a quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle was brought to you by Fullscale. Go to fullscale.io and learn more about what we do. Click the getting started tab and fill out a few questions about what your needs are at your tech company. And we will reply and give you some solutions for how we may able, might be able to help. Now you talk about in response to your comment, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that as a, as an entrepreneur, your goal needs to be to build something bigger than you. Yeah. That's what everyone all, wants. Cause all you can do is all you can do. And there's a bunch of cliches for you, but they're true. Yeah. And you know, if you're, I see this a lot too with, you know, you got to be able to let stuff go. And um, the thing you founders and entrepreneurs tell them, so oh, no one can do this. Like I do, it's faster for me to just do it than teach someone else. Uh, both of those solutions uh, exactly equal you getting to always do that stuff forever on your yeah. own. So if you can't let go of that, then you're always going to do it. And then, um, there's other things too that, you know, in that same, I, I like to empower people uh, with a lot of stuff. So I created something I call the rule of yes. And everyone at, at 
any of my enterprises gets. So if you think I'd say yes, 90% of the time, don't ask. And I'll just be, I'll just deal with the 10% of the time you might be wrong. Hmm. And it, and that can't be applied to like, can I come in late for three straight months? That's not how that works, but it has to do with so many little functional and recurring things. And, uh, ever since I created that, I swear to God, my life's been like a hundred times easier. Yeah. And I, and I kind of enforce it too. Cause you know, like I'll be like, well, yes. You know, it's like, Hey, do I, should I go get envelopes? Do we need envelopes? Yeah. Then go do it. You know, yeah. that's not, but some of those things, if you can really spread that out, amongst the organization, people just go do what they need to do and you can trust that they get it done. Most of the time with stuff like that, it's crap you didn't want to do anyway. A little exercise for you founders out there, find, make a list of five things you hate doing, you don't like doing or you don't want to do and find someone else to do them. And then reach out to me, Deco, D-E-C-O at fullscale.io and let me know how that went. Rayanne, thank you so much for joining me today and congratulations on being on our top startups list. Thank you, this was really fun. Thanks for having me. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.